Well, good morning, church. You know, that was terrible. Let's do it again. Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. I don't know about you, but I know that song we just sang was a new song, and some maybe never heard it before. And man, what an appropriate message for today as we've gone through the last crazy week of our lives, right? I mean, it's just been nutso. And there's one conclusion I hope we all come to. I don't care which side of the political line you fall on, but here's what I do know, that Jesus is still on his throne. Amen? Amen. That he's in control, that I'm going to trust him. And just as he spoke the world into existence and spoke back the darkness, he does prevail. Amen? Do you believe that? And man, I hope we sing that song with everything in us because he has all authority. Now today, we're going to continue in our series called Seven. And as we've gone through the series, we've been looking at the churches in the book of Revelation, the different churches in the book of Revelation. And what we found out is, you know, hopefully the question we've been thinking about is, as we look at these different churches, do I resonate with where they struggle? So as I look at the seven churches in the book of Revelation, and I look at where they struggle, can I resonate with where they struggle? For example, the church of Ephesus, we found out they were doing a lot of great things, right? But somewhere along the line, they drifted in their love for the Lord. And I think it's important for us to ask, especially over the last 10 months of our lives, do we feel like maybe there's been a season where we've drifted? Yeah, maybe we've been doing some right stuff. Maybe we were just trying to stay afloat, trying to survive, not thrive, right? And do we feel like maybe we've drifted? Or maybe the church of Smyrna. The church of Smyrna, you know, Jesus had to remind the church of Smyrna that I'm in it with you. I know you're going through persecution. I know you're going through slander, but I'm in it with you. And because I'm in it with you, there is no reason for you to fear. And maybe as you look back and you find yourself in life, you're like, man, I've been paralyzed by fear. Fear of what's going to happen with COVID, the fear of election, the fear of whatever's going on around me. I'm just in a state of fear. And we're reminded, if that's where we find ourselves, that Jesus is in it with us. And there's no reason to fear. And then last week, we looked at the church of Pergamum. And we really had to ask ourselves this question. Have we made a decision of where we're going to stand? Are we going to stand on the side of truth? Are we going to stand on the side of compromise? Now, I just want to hear you you hear my heart this morning. As we go through these churches, please don't discount them. Please don't look at these churches going, yeah, they had some real issues. Well, guess what? We do too, right? If we look at the depths of our own heart, our own soul, our own decisions, our own behavior, we've got some issues too. But the beautiful thing about these churches is this, is that Jesus commends them. He calls out to them what he's concerned about, but then he challenges them to change. And the same thing's true for us because many of us have drifted possibly. Many of us have let fear run rampant in our lives. And for some of us, we're still trying to make a decision. Am I going to stand on the side of truth or am I going to stand on the side of compromise? And so as we look at these churches, we have to ask ourselves this question, can I resonate with them? And I think the answer is what? Yes, we can. And today we're going to look at the fourth church, the church of Thyatira. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, the church of Thyatira. And I'm going to ask you one more time to stand in honor of reading God's word. And it says this in verse 18. And the angel of the church in Thyatira, the words of the Son of God, who was the eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, he says this, I know your works. Your love, your faith, and service, and patient endurance, and your latter works, which exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual morality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into a great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. 
And all the churches will know that I am he who searches minds and hearts, and I will give to each according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to these teachings, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you who I say, do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers, who keeps my word until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule with the rod of iron. And when the earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as myself have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. May God bless the reading of his word. Have a seat if you would. Now, as we look at Thyatira, I want to give you a bit of background, because the background gives us context to what we're about to see Jesus say. Now, Thyatira was not a port city. We've talked a lot about ports. Ephesus was a port city. A lot of things going on there. People would go to Ephesus because it was the place to be. I mean, that's where trade happened, all different kinds of things. But Thyatira was not a port city. In fact, it was a lot like Pergamum we talked about last week. Remember, Pergamum was not a port city. But do you, anybody remember why they went to Pergamum all the time? It's because they had what? A library, thank you. They had a library. And that library was the center of culture and the center of education. So people would flood to Pergamum for the library. Thyatira had no library. So in most cases, people look at Thyatira as one of the least important churches of Asia Minor. In fact, Thyatira was actually formed, the city was formed by Alexander the Great. And it was originally a military city. Now, the interesting thing about Thyatira is this, is that they had what we call, they called trade guilds, meaning they had things that they produced, they made in Thyatira that people would come into and they would trade and they would sell those things. In fact, there were three, there was a lot of things, but there were three primary trade guilds that were in Thyatira. The first one was clothing. They made clothing and they sold clothing. The second is pottery. And the third one was baking. So that was, I mean, these were not like non-essentials. These are things that people needed, like clothing and food. And so Thyatira was known for that. That's interesting because of that, Thyatira was an extremely blue-collar community. Very, I mean, you don't see this issue of the the affluent oppressing the poor. This is a blue-collar community by far. But here's what's most interesting about Thyatira is this. It's because they had these three primary trade guilds, and because there was some idolatry that was going on in Thyatira, they also believed this, that if you were going to come into our city and you're going to want our trade, you're going to want our clothing, our pottery, and our baked goods, you also have to participate in the gods who oversee those different trade guilds. So they had the god of the clothing, the god of pottery, and the god of baking. And so if you want our stuff, great, but you have to participate in pagan worship the god of the pottery the god of the clothing and the god of baking and you have to eat the meat that's been offered to those pagan gods now here's why that's interesting if you were a christian in the church of thyatira guess two things you have to have you got to have clothes right and you probably need baked goods you can probably get away from pottery but you got to have baked goods you got to be able to you know to produce and to to be able to live and to eat and so to be a christian in thyatira was not an easy task it was a very difficult task because the things they were selling and trading they would only give it to you and let you have it and buy it if you participated in their pagan worship if that makes sense say i got it i'm telling you this is a big deal now that's the lens we come to the passage look back with me in verse 18 because we see a unique greeting here in verse 18 and the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished 
bronze. Now, this is a very unique kind of greeting, and it would have spoken volumes to the church in Thyatira. In fact, this greeting is different than any other greetings we've seen before. In fact, in Ephesus, we see the greeting of Jesus as the one who's in control. In Smyrna, we see the greeting of Jesus as the one who's conquered death. And in Pergamum, we see the greeting of Jesus as the one who's not only in control, not only has conquered death, but we see this one who is the word of God. So when he speaks, it's as if the heavenly father has spoken. And so when you look at these different greetings, these first three that we've seen are greetings that reflect the attributes of Jesus. He is the very word of God. He is the one who has overcome death. He is the one who is in control. But in this one, he doesn't give an attribute. He gives an identity. It's not like, hey, I'm the one that's in control, or I'm the one that's conquered death, or I'm the one that's this. It's, hey, I am the son of God. As if the church of Thyatira had forgotten who they worshiped. As if they had forgotten who the foundation of the church was, which was Jesus, the son of God. He reminds them who he is. I'm the son of God. I'm not just any Yehu. I am the deity. I am the divine one. I'm the only son of God. You've forgotten it, and I need to remind you of it. Now, why would Jesus do that? Well, here's why. It's because, listen, idol worship had crept into the church. Now, in the other stories we looked at, like last week at Pergamum, it had not really crept too much in the church. It invaded a little bit, but it invaded a small percentage of the church, right? A few people. Remember the word some. There were some in Pergamum that were doing some things they shouldn't do, following the teachings of Baal, of the Nicolaitans. But here in Thyatira, idol worship had crept into the church. In fact, most scholars would call this church the adulterous church. It's a church that committed adultery against the Lord. So Jesus says, listen, I am the son of God because he wants to remind them who they're dealing with. He wants to remind them that he's the one in control. And he says here, if you notice in verse 18, he says, whose eyes are like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, there's a lot we could say about, but let's just say this. These are words speaking about judgment. And he's saying this, that when I come against you, if you don't heed my words, my judgment is pure. My judgment that I'm going to bring to you is righteous. It is true justice when I bring my judgment. So to this church in Thyatira, this greeting is essential for them because it's not like any other greeting. Jesus reestablishing, I'm the son of God. You've let idol worship creep in and we've got to deal with it. And then as we follow the same suit we followed through Ephesus and even Pergamum, I want to give you really three things we see in the passage. First of all is the commendation. What does Jesus commend this church for out of the gate? Look at me in verse 19. He says this, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Now listen, don't make any mistake about it. For a period and a season of time, they've done a lot of great stuff. He said, listen, I see you works. I see that you're truly trying to love me and you're trying to love people. I get that you're trying to love people. I mean, you are doing a great job of this. Now, he's not neglecting the fact that idol worship is crept in the church. He's just commenting on and commending them on some things that they had done well. He said, you've loved me well. You've loved people well. He talks about their faith. He says, man, I commend you on your faith. At points in, in your journey, you've been dependable. You've been reliable and you've been constant. You've been faithful to me. And then he says, you, he commends them on their service. Now think about that. He says, listen, you've been serving people. Man, I want to commend you for that. Not only serving people, but you've been patient to endure. You've been patient. No matter what is thrown at you, no matter what persecution, no matter what ridicule, no matter what's thrown at you, you've been patient 
to endure. And then he says this. I find it interesting. He says, and your latter works exceed the first. In other words, you started off pretty good, but you've just gotten better over time. Now, let's stop the letter right there. Wouldn't we all love to hear that from Jesus ourselves? Hey, Doug, man, you're loving me and loving people. Man, you're doing great. Hey, Doug, man, you're being faithful. You're being reliable, dependable, and constant. Hey, Doug, your service for people and hard to love on people is unbelievable. And you're persevering through the persecution. And what you started great, but man, what you're doing now, whew, it's way better than what it was before. Wouldn't we all love that kind of accommodation from the Lord? Sure we would. But then he comes to the second thing, and that's the concern. Now, I want you to listen to me in verse 20. Listen to what it says here. Just listen to these words. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Here's his concern. That in the church, here's the issue. In the church, they've been tolerating something they should not have been tolerating. They've been tolerating a teaching. Now, he talks about the woman Jezebel. Now, if you know anything about that name, he's probably not referring to a woman actually in the church of Thyatira whose name was Jezebel. Jezebel is a reference to an Old Testament character, Jezebel. Jezebel in the Old Testament was the queen, and her, and her husband was King Ahaz. And Jezebel was a wicked person. I mean, Ahaz was bad. Jezebel was worse. And Jezebel was the one who kind of did battle with Elijah. You may remember the story of Elijah on the Mount Carmel. Not this Elijah, but that Elijah in the Bible. The one Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal. I mean, she was doing battle with Elijah. But what Jezebel is most known for is that she introduced Israel to the worship of Baal and trying to influence them into participating in the sexual immoral acts that went with worshiping Baal and eating the food offered to idols, in particular, Baal. She introduced that. So here's what Jesus is saying. You have a Jezebel in your midst, church. You have a Jezebel in your midst. You have a Jezebel that's trying to lead you down a path that's in opposition to the gospel. You have a Jezebel that's trying to lead you down a path that's in the opposition of my word. And notice what he says about this Jezebel. He says this Jezebel, she claims to be a prophetess. In other words, she's standing up in this church and going, listen, I'm speaking words of the Lord. That's what she says. She's standing up and she's speaking as if she's speaking on the behalf of God. A prophetess was a really big word here. It meant a lot. If you go back to the Old Testament and you think about a prophet like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Habakkuk, you just pick any of them. These were men that stood up and they spoke. And as they spoke, it was as if it had come from who? God Almighty. And so she says that she's a prophetess. So when she stood up and spoke, it's as if she's saying, as if I'm speaking straight from the Lord's mouth. So what did this church do with it? They tolerated it. They allowed this prophetess, this Jezebel, who wasn't a prophet at all, they allowed her to have a platform, and then they left her alone. It'd be like somebody here going, hey, I have a word from God, and I want to come up and speak it, Doug. Can I have the platform? Yeah, go right ahead. Have the platform. I have no idea what you're going to say. But have the platform. That's exactly what the church of Thyatira had done. Now, what was her platform? She was trying to pr propagate a message. And here was the message. It was a message of Gnosticism. I know it's a big word, and we don't talk a lot about it. It's, a, it's really coming from the Greek culture, a Gnostic or Gnosticism. And here's basically what it means in a nutshell. There's a lot to it. But in a nutshell, here's what Gnosticism was, the teaching of Gnosticism. It, it was this, that the body is bad, or, or the body is bad and the spirit is good. 
So do whatever you want to with the body, only take care of the spirit. Which means, therefore, you can engage in sexual morality. It doesn't no big deal. You can eat meat offered to idols. It's no big deal. Why? Because the body is what? Bad and the spirit is good. So she was propagating a message that would lead them down the path of trying to seduce them to engage in sexual morality and to engage in eating meat that was offered to idols. She was, you know, propagating this Gnostic idea. Now, the heartbeat of Gnosticism is this, is that you choose you first. Whatever you desire, whatever you want, whatever you crave, go for it. It's all about you. So whatever the flesh desires, guess what? Do it. Why? Because the body is what? It's bad. It's the spirit that is good. And so listen, this church let Jezebel, who claimed to be speaking on behalf of God, have a platform to propagate a message that the body is bad, the spirit is good, so commit sexual morality. Eat food offered to idols. It doesn't matter. The spirit's all that matters. Well, let me, let me just say something to you because you may wrestle with that as well. Here's one thing that I think can counteract that whole thought. It's this. You ready? My Bible says this, that the tomb was empty. Are you with me on that? Can you say amen? amen. That my body is a temple of what? The Holy Spirit. So the body does matter, right? And she's propagating this message. Now here's ultimately what happened. Because people gave her the platform in this church to share this message. It says that many were led astray. That many followed her. Now here's what's interesting. In the face of what's going on. Look with me in verse 21. We see God's grace even in the face of all this. And he says, I gave her Time to what? Come on, time to what? Repent. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual morality. In other words, even in the face of this woman who claims to be from the Lord, <coughs> who is a part of the church of Thyatira, who's propagating a message that's in opposition to the truth of God's word, and she's leading people astray, even that person, Jesus, gave a chance to repent, but yet she refuses. So we see the grace of the Lord. We see that he gave her, even really a heathen person, a chance to repent. And what we find out with her lack of repentance is this, is that people prefer darkness over light, don't they? If you don't believe me, just look in the world we live in, right? People choose darkness over light. So we see in this story God's grace, but we also see God's judgment. Look with me, verse 22 and 23. It says this, behold, in other words, since she won't repent, behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into a great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the church will know that I am he who searches the mind and hearts, and I will give according to your works. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying, I'm going to flex my muscles. I've given her a chance to repent. I'm not going to let this heresy continue to be bought in by my church, not their church, my church. It's not the church of Thyatira. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to flex my muscles because this is going to go on no longer. So here's what's going to happen. To Jezebel, the bed that was once a bed of perversion is not going to be a bed of sick bed. Now I'm going to bring sickness and disease upon her. And those who bought into this, those who have followed her that have been led astray, guess what? I'm going to throw them into the great tribulation. Now, some of you that have been in church a while, you're going, great tribulation, we're in the book of Revelation. Is that that seven-year period where of tribulation, the last three and a half years, is called the great tribulation? Yes, you're right, but that's not what he's talking about. 
Tribulation just means distress or trouble. And here's what he's saying. Those who follow the teachings of Jezebel, those who've been led astray and bought into the body is bad and the spirit's good, those people, he's going to bring great distress and great trouble in their life as a hand of discipline. And then he says to the children of Jezebel, what's he going to do? He's going to strike them what? Come on, what's he going to do? <coughs> He's going to strike them dead. Now, that's a pretty hard, would you say that's a pretty harsh thing to do? Now, you say, okay, you mean Jezebel had kittens? No, no. Listen, you, if you go back and study, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about not her biological children, but those who have become her disciples, those who are propagating the same message she's propagating, who've been discipled by Jezebel, and they're also kind of sharing the same message. He says, I'm going to strike them dead. Now, listen to this. Jesus takes the tolerating of sin pretty serious, doesn't he? Pretty serious. And so he says, I'm going to flex my muscles, and I'm going to do something about it. So while we see these great commendations, we see this ultimate concern of that you've let a Jezebel in your midst. You've let a person lead you astray, tell you that the body is bad and the spirit is good. Therefore, do whatever you want to with the body, and I'm going to have it no more. She had a chance to repent. She refused. Now I'm going to bring judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but I want you to hear something this morning. I love the fact that God is the God of grace, don't you? Amen? I love the fact that God is the God of love. But I think God's grace is as much reflected in his judgment as it is in his mercy. Because God disciplines what? Those whom he loves. And we see the judgment of God. And then the last thing I want you to notice is the challenge. Look with me in verse 24 and 25. It says this, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you another burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. Now, it's interesting because in Pergamum, if you remember, there was a large group that was doing the right stuff, and then he says, but some of you are doing this. And in Thyatira, it's the flipped, isn't it? It's the bulk of the church that's been led astray, but there's a few small remnant that's staying faithful. So here's the challenge. He says, for those of you that are remnant, for those of you that have not compromised, here's my challenge to you. Ready? Hold on. Hold on. Hold fast and cling to the truth until I come. Hold fast and cling to the truth. Cling to what is right until I come back. Now, it's interesting, he would say, I don't want to put any other burden on you other than this. Hold fast. It's almost as if Jesus is saying this. Listen, there's a lot of things I could tell you. There's a lot of things I could say to you about what you need to do. But ultimately, here's the only thing you need to know. Hold on. Cling to the truth. I remember when we first moved here a couple years ago, uh, we bought some Disney passes because the boys really want to go to Disney. And, and we'd gone a few times. And, and I don't like heights. Like, I don't even want to get on my roof at home at all. And it's only like eight and a half feet. I just don't like it because I'm a big guy. And if I fall, that's not going to end well. And so I don't like heights at all. So they somehow convinced me, uh, Daniel and David convinced me to get on the ride Soren. Anybody been on Soren in Disney? Okay, great. Uh, some of you, if you've, not, if you've missed it, awesome to you, okay? So I got on Soren. And so I'm a thinker. And so there's three lines to get on Soren, and I'm thinking line one is the front, and I know it goes up, so if I'm in the front, that must mean I stay the lowest to the ground, and I think I can do this thing. 
So I get in there, I sit right in the middle, put the bar over me, and I'm there, and the ride begins to start, and I realize quickly that the front row is the one that goes 40 feet in the air, and it's the back row that comes underneath and is the closest to the ground. So as we're going up in the air, I grip this thing that I'm just holding on to, and I don't realize how loud I'm saying this, but I'm saying, I got to get out of here, I got to get out of here, I got to get out of here. And Tanya goes, shut up, Doug, and David's just laughing at me, and I'm going, I got to get out of this thing, and then all I could think of was how great as our God came to mind. So I started humming that in my head. And the whole time I'm clinging to this, this, this plastic thing over my chest. I feel like I'm sliding out and I've got a death grip on this. And then David goes, dad, open your eyes. We're over Paris. I'm like, don't talk to me. Just leave me alone. Cause I got to get out. Now, listen, when I got off that ride, you laugh, but you come on. I was scared to death. When I get off that ride, I guarantee you there were fingerprints deep within what I was holding on to. I said it to say this. That's the image of what Jesus is giving here. That kind of clinging. Not the kind where you have it around you, but the kind that you are clinging to the truth. You are clinging to what is right. And he says, for those of you that do that, here's the promise. Look at me in verse 26. Here's the promise. To those who conquer or do this, who keeps my word until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule with them as an iron rod, and with earthen pots and broken in pieces, even as myself, he will receive authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. And he says, there's two things I'm going to give him. First of all, I'm going to give him authority. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about the millennial reign we won't talk about today, but the millennial reign that's coming, that those that stay faithful, those that cling to it, they will have the privilege to reigning and ruling with the Lord during the millennial reign. He said, I'm going to give that to you. But I'm also going to give you the morning star. Well, who is the morning star? Anybody know? Jesus is the morning star. He said, you're going to be so close with me, you can't even imagine it. So while I'm telling you to hold on, remember, there's reward at the end. Well, I'm telling you to cling to truth. Remember, there's reward at the end. So hold fast. With all that's going on around you, with all the idolatry, all the teaching of Jezebel in the church, while you have a Jezebel there, listen to me. Hold on to the truth. Cling to what is right. Now, as I thought about that, as we close, I thought, okay, is it possible that we could be led astray just like this church was led astray? Come on, is it possible? Sure it is. Especially if we're driven to fit into the culture rather than seeking to be counter-cultural, right? It is possible to be led astray when we stop calling sin, sin. It is possible to be led astray when we allow Jezebels, not into our church necessarily, but into our lives. People that are propagating a message that's counter and in opposition to the word of God. We can, we, can, we can go lead astray that way. We can also be led astray when we neglect the fact that our bodies is a temple of the Holy Spirit and we're to honor God with our bodies. Can we be led astray? You better believe it. See, when we come to this passage, the thing I don't want us to miss is this, is that how serious Jesus takes tolerating sin. So here's the question for everyone in the room today. You ready? Are we tolerating sin in our life? Are we allowing some sin to linger? Well, Doug, it's not as bad. You know, me doing this is not as bad as me cheating on my taxes or robbing or killing. Come on, come on. For the wages of sin, all sin was what? Death. I mean, we deserve death from what you would view as the smallest sin to the largest sin. In God's eyes, it's all sin. It all breached our relationship with him. And what we deserve is death. So here's the question. Are we tolerating sin? 
Are we allowing sin to linger in our lives? If you were to go back to the Old Testament, one of my favorite stories is the story of Joshua. When Joshua takes over and they go into the promised land, they're in some battles. And the first battle is the battle of Jericho. It's a great battle, great victory. And then God told them to do some things and not to do some things. Well, there was a guy by the name of Achan who didn't listen to the Lord. So the next battle they go into, without the Lord's leadership, the battle of Ai, they lose the battle. They run like fleeing and retreating. And Joshua goes before the Lord going, I don't know what's gone wrong. I don't know what's happened. And ultimately, here's what God told Joshua. You got sin in the camp. The reason you failed, the reason you're broken, the reason you were defeated is you have sin in the camp. Go deal with the sin in the camp, and then you'll have the victory. And I think the same truth is relevant for us today. If we are tolerating sin, listen, there is sin in our camp. We are going to miss the blessings of God. We are going to miss the provisions of God. We're going to miss the voice of God. We're going to miss the direction of God in our lives. We must look at our lives and go, is there sin in my camp? And if there is, the same thing Jesus told this church is the same thing he's telling us today. And it's two things. You ready? Number one, repent. Repent. Remember what I said repentance was last week? It's a change of mind and a change of heart that leads to a change of direction and a change of behavior. Repent. And second of all, hold on. As we turn from a wrong way of thinking, cling to what is truthful. Cling to what is right. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, and you've been letting sin stay in your camp. You've missed out on those things. But will you deal with that sin that's in your camp this morning? Will you repent and call it out to the Lord? Say, Lord, I thank you for your grace. Just like Jezebel in this church, you've given me a chance to repent too. And today I do it. And also I'm going to hold on, Lord. I'm going to hold on to what is right. I'm going to hold on to your truth as I live my life. So believers, is there sin in your camp? And will you deal with it? I'm going to ask you right now, everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand up. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're just going to pray. Lord, I love you and I thank you for this passage. I thank you for a church that, that Jesus calls out. And I know that for me, I, it's easy to look at this church or look at other churches and go, we'll never be like that. We'll never go down that path. But Lord, there are churches all over America that have had Jezebels in them that are propagating a message that's not the gospel, propagating a message that's an opposition to your word. So, Lord, it does happen. But what I'm most concerned with this morning, Lord, and I think what you're most concerned with, is it happening in our lives. Are we, are we so, so focused and so busy trying to fit into culture that we've forgotten that we're called to be countercultural? Have we stopped calling sin what it is? Sin. Have we let Jezebels in our life that want to propagate a message and influence us in a way that's in opposition to your word? And Lord, if we're a believer and we've got sin in our camp and we've not dealt with it today, would we just repent? Would we just make a change of mind and a change of heart that would lead to a change of behavior and a change of direction? And then Lord, for those of us that repent, would we then second of all, would we hold fast? Would we cling to the truth of your word? Would we cling to what is right? And would we cling to it until one day, Jesus, when you split the sky and you come receive your church? So God, I just pray you should be with us today. There's a lot of people in the room today, which means there's probably a lot of us that have had sin in our camp. And may you help us deal with that this morning. So Lord, speak to us. Move in us. 
wreck us if necessary so that we will deal with that sin and that we will hold fast to you and to your truth. And Lord, if there's anybody in the room today that's never trusted you, they've never given their life to you, may you just remind them in the sweetness of this moment that there's going to come a day they're going to stand before you and they're going to have to give an account of what they did with Jesus. And if they've denied him as they pass into death, he will deny them and they will spend eternity apart from him. But if they will surrender their life today, acknowledging their sinner and saying, I give my life to Jesus and they surrender to him, Lord, that they can have the hope of heaven. So God, if there's somebody like that here today, would you just speak to them? Would they make that decision for you? God, you have reign and rule in this room. We ask your Holy Spirit to move and do only what he can do, to challenge us, to convict us, but hopefully and prayerfully change us. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.